I kind of always was like, yeah, but that's not my thing. Like I'm a journalist, like once a journalist, always a journalist, which I do believe just in different capacities. Coming next on Broadcast Bulletin, we're speaking with Brittany Poletz-Gates, who spent about a decade in the industry, most recently as a weeknight anchor in Abilene, Texas. She'll discuss how she got her big break. Originally, I actually wasn't even sure where I said yes to going to because in my phone I had ND for news director, uh, but I also had an offer from Fargo, North Dakota. How becoming a mom began to change her perspective as a reporter. I just felt a little um, nervous as I was making choices as a mom um, and, you know, felt like I had to do everything perfect. And why she made the jump over to real estate. So I took the real estate test and I passed and um, started doing it with my husband and it came really natural to me. And so much more. This is Broadcast Bulletin. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Broadcast Bulletin again. My name is Jim Stanton. And I'm Jacob Brooks. Good to have you along with us. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on this journey with us, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether this is your first episode or your you know, you've been here since the start. We really appreciate it. And as always, I'll never stop plugging these. Make sure you like follow our Instagram at broadcast bulletin, go to our website, broadcast bulletin podcast.com. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube. You can just look us up and we'll pop right up there. So on that note, let's introduce you to our guest today. We are welcoming Brittany Pellets Gates to the show. Brittany knew she wanted to be a journalist since September 11th, 2001. And she graduated graduated from Barry University in 2008. And from there, she worked most of her, her career in Abilene, Texas at KRBC and KTAB, where she was the main evening anchor there. And she also spent a couple of years in between us, we'll talk about in Lexington, Kentucky, where she was a reporter and a weekend anchor. Two years ago in 2019, she left the industry and is now back where she considers home sunny and beautiful Sarasota, Sarasota, Florida. After taking a year out of work, she is now a real estate agent. So today, Brittany is going to talk about why she left her career, how she uses her skill set now in her new role, and advice she has for those like myself who are looking to enter the industry Live on TV and streaming online, this is the brand new Abilene Midday. Thanks for joining us, I'm Brittany Pellets. Now Thompson even brought his act here to the shops at Hamburg. It's all an act that he says he is proud of. We know many people are adjusting to new pets in their houses, especially when some of you might have gotten a new dog for Christmas. Unfortunately, I do have some bittersweet news to share. Some of you already know there's been uh, an article posted on the website and it's on Facebook. But in two weeks, I will no longer be your news lady. Now that we got that out of the way, the housekeeping, Brittany, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much, guys, Jim and Jacob. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. That's awesome. So let's dive right into it with our first question. When was the moment you realized you wanted to be a journalist? Um, I think it really was, I, and I, the example I gave you, and you mentioned it a little bit, it was watching uh, the coverage of September 11th. I was just, um, you know, mesmerized as so many of us were. Um, obviously, I was uh, in middle school, young, but very impressionable. They rolled the TVs in, and we started watching all these news uh sequences unfold. And then we continued watching at home. And I really just saw um, such an opportunity. And I was just in awe of the journalists who had such a 
serious job to do um, while having to put kind of their emotions to the side to make sure that viewers and people and families were well-informed, had accurate information while the country is in crisis. And it just was kind of the jumping off point to really solidify, like, I want to do that. I want to help people be informed in the know and ready. Um, there were things I was doing as a child, like reading my um, homework out loud to my mom and to my stuffed animals and narrator of school play and elementary school. Those things were kind of steps to get there. But I think watching 9-11 really motivated me to say, okay, my major is going to be broadcast communication. I'm going to pursue uh, being in the news industry. So how many tapes, not to make you feel old, but when you graduated, you had to send out tapes everywhere. How many tapes did you have to send out? And then how did you settle on Abilene, Texas as to start your career? Well, okay. So I'm not as old as tapes because it was DVDs. So we did uh, have DVDs in sleeves, Oops. Um, but I did send out probably close to 100. Um, I was well informed by my college professors, especially Connie Hicks, um, who was a former reporter for WPLG in Miami, where I interned, but she also happened to be my college professor at Barry University. And she really said, you know, you've got to put yourself out there. You can't say, I want to go and work in this market just because you had to really, you know, likely start in the 100s of markets. And so I just let that stop me. I did send it close to 100. Um, and I would go to the post office every day. I had a long list of all the receipts where I was sending this. I would look up all on the station websites to see what they were hiring, whether it was part weather person, which I have no experience in, and part news. Um, and then finally, uh, the calls came in and I ended up getting a call from Austin Kellerman in Abilene, Texas, offering my, me my first job as a reporter um, Monday through Friday. And um, originally, I actually wasn't even sure where I said yes to going to because in my phone, I had ND for news director. Uh, but I also had an offer from um, Lincoln, Nebraska, or Fargo, North Dakota, excuse me, there's the ND. And um so I was like, oh, I'm going to North Dakota because ND was on my phone. And then, of course, I go to look at the phone later. And it's, sure enough, it says ND, Austin Kellerman, Texas. So I was really happily surprised. But it shows you the, um, the uh, oh, what's the word? Just how eager, the eagerness you are to get into the business for your first break. And I was just willing to go wherever and just happy that somebody was willing to give me a chance. What did you do at Kerbison? My first job, I did it all. I was hired as a one-man band. And that was at the beginning of when uh, the industry kind of took that shift and that pay cut, uh, reducing uh, the staff of skilled photographers, highly trained videographers, um, shooters, whatever you want to call them, um, and started making the on-air person do all of those jobs. So when I first got there, I was in charge of enterprising my stories, um, you know, really digging and looking for something that wasn't done or unique that people wanted to know. And I would grab the camera gear and um, all the audio lighting equipment, I call and set up the interviews. So I would shoot, edit, um, shoot, edit, uh, live report, field anchor, read the prompter, um, post to the website, social media interaction, and yeah, it was a, a lot of work as a one-man band, and I still have the utmost respect for 
anyone who's in the business, because I know more responsibilities are getting tacked on to one person uh, instead of this huge environment um, that a lot of people were used to in this business. Because I did slip up and say KTAB when I met KRBC, but they're a duopoly, so they're sister stations together. How is it like being in that type of environment? Very interesting and a good question. Um, it's kind of all I know because I've only worked at duopolies. However, they were very different from each other. And at KTAB and KRBC, uh, while it is one big happy family, uh, for the most part, I mean, they're your competitors, but you're under the same roof. You share the same afternoon or morning meeting for those um, on the other side of the newscast. But um, it, I worked for KRBC at the beginning and um, I didn't know until I was there that it was kind of the, the stepchild. And I hate to use that term because I, I know so many blended families who treat children the same, but it's just my best way to say KTAB was the number one station. And so we were treated differently. Not we were treated differently, but uh, there were special privileges and shows and segments and things that were offered on KTAB. And I was always a little bit envious, but it was such motivation for me to want to be and do better and outperform KTAB as a KRBCer. And so it was really funny after I had left and I was really proud of the work that we did. And, you know, there was a huge turnover shift while I was at KRBC, which um, was bittersweet because it meant a lot of people who I respected and trusted um, and were staples of the station who left. Uh, but it did provide opportunities for me to grow and learn. Um, so when I left, I felt this loyalty to KRBC. So I never would have imagined ever working for KTAB, the competitor. Um, but of course, I went away, moved on in my career, and I was moving back to Abilene, Texas to my husband. And there was the main anchor position open at KTAB. And Randy Turner, my former co-anchor at KRBC, was like, I think this job is supposed to be for you. And I was like, really? What do you think? And then one thing led to another. And I was like, you know what? You can't think of it like that. This is a great opportunity to serve in the community that you loved and to, you know, once again, hold that that role and importance. Um, and so it was interesting, though, being on the other side. And I, the grass was greener, I will say that. It did live up to, to the hype. Um, and so it was, it was just unique, I guess, to see it uh, for both sides and to have worked for both positions. Did the averagers even know y'all were associated with each other? They did. Most places that you would go, people would be like, oh, is this KTAP KRBC? Yeah, there was definitely a blending um, that was sometimes frustrating because you wanted to keep that identity. But at the same time, sometimes it worked in your favor. Somebody would be a loyal viewer of one and, and the other. And, um, you know, I think there's a little bit less loyalty these days and people kind of surf and go back and forth. So I think genuinely they could like you on the station, but also like this person and it kind of depends on their mood or what happened to be on if their programming was on when they turn on the TV and then it turns to the news. So I think people did notice. What are some of the changes you saw in the industry within your 10 years in the business? Um, still just the downsizing and, um, a lot of it had to do, I don't, I, you know, sometimes I think it was quality, quantity over quality at some points when we were like trying to have more than everybody else. And then it went through shifts of having better and less than everyone else. Um, I think a lot had to do with the mobile uh, 
segue, you know, so many things are done on the cell phone, you know, every, we were incorporating more viewer videos, you know, I feel like less and less the actual big equipment, high quality was being used and the authenticity um, is what's kind of integrated its way into the business. All right. So something I've always wondered whenever I watch TV and I've never really known why is whenever I watch, you know, two anchors working together, that the co-anchor always looks at the other person after they're done reading. Why do they do that? It's really supposed to be for the flow of the newscast, because while you're engaged and watching with us, we want you to know that we're also listening to that, you know, person who's on the other side and just makes for a more natural transition. Um, I will tell you the behind the scenes secret. I was always somebody who was always either on the computer or texting at the reporter at the scene to get the latest information. So sometimes it was uh, a faux uh, look, I guess you'd say. I'd be looking and trying to get information. And then I knew I was about to be on camera. So I would look and then come back. So I did listen all the time to my uh, co-anchors, but I also was doing work behind the scenes. Um, so some of, some of it's natural. Some of it was a, a little... Um, What's the right word? The, I, I hate to use the word stage, but just um, habit, maybe. All right. So now kind of talk about your job as an anchor. Obviously, you had to read a teleprompter every evening. How did you feel about reading the teleprompter? Do you feel like some viewers may have been, they had this fall impression that all you do as an anchor is just sit there and read the teleprompter. But was there really more that goes into a job as being an anchor? And specifically reading the teleprompter, I think there's a lot you have to do with that, like making sure you pronounce the words right, uh, rewriting scripts. So did you ever feel any pressure reading the teleprompter? Oh, yeah, lots of pressure. But I would, I think that most people, especially if they watch me for years, know that I like straight off that teleprompter so much because <laughs> I have a lot to say and I like to, you know, when it's appropriate, I'm not going to, you know, interject a a serious story that you need to get the facts across. But if we're talking about, you know, some silly contest or a little more lighthearted, I absolutely would stray off of what's in front of me. Um, but yeah, there's definitely skill too, because you want to read at a pace that's um, understandable and not just like you're reading the police said we were going to like a robot, you know, you have to be human. Um, and of course, there's the time when the prompter goes out. So you need to be able to reflect what's being um, conveyed on air, but you need to look at your scripts that hopefully you have in front of you or notes that you've taken just so that you can uh, effectively um, discuss what, what was supposed to be in the prompter and things like that. It's definitely an art um, to doing it. And you know, I, I don't think everybody just comes out of the gate understanding to it's, you know, practice, you also, depending on if you run your own prompter, which I have many times, um, you know, you can only get mad at yourself for the speed, you're either going too fast, too slow, if it starts going backwards. Um, but I've had really good prompter runners as well, uh, during my career. And I just really felt like that was even a skill of them learning how fast I read when to stop and let me ad lib. And, um, it's a little sad because I don't think that job is existing too much anymore. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I really appreciated when I had somebody run my prompter. So how do you strike a balance between your work life and your 
like outside of work life, especially given the bizarre hours and news? Well, uh, to be honest, that was my favorite part of being the main anchor. I just felt such a connection with the community because it's a smaller, I won't say it's not a town because it's the big country and um, Abilene's a decent sized city. Um, but I would be doing all the activities that everybody was doing and that I was reporting on. And I loved sharing, um, especially when I became a mom, I shared my pregnancies, my kids milestones and things like that. So um, I loved the interaction. I loved when people came up to me when I was at dinner and, you know, joked about something that was said on the news or done or said, Hey, I really like watching you keep Bob in line. And, you know, I really felt like I knew people who felt like they knew me from just watching me. A lot did have to do with social media. I did a lot of live um, behind the scenes during the newscast. So it was a time that I really could see who was watching and interacting with me. Granted, that was only probably 100 people of the thousands that were watching. Um, but I always loved to mix the two. I really didn't ever think I had a separate life where you know, when I'm off air, I'm off air. I always felt like I was on and always felt like I was, uh, you know, kind of under a microscope where I, you know, not that I would be making any different choices, but I, I knew I had an important um, job in the community and I took it seriously when I took it home. But did that ever get tiring after a while? If you're at the grocery store and you feel like people are looking at you because you're the evening anchor on the news? Um, no, I just felt a little, um, nervous as I was making choices as a mom um, and, you know, felt like I had to do everything perfect. And especially when you're a new mom, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of lost and learning as you go. And, but no, I don't think so. I mean, I, it was actually almost the reverse when I like moved to Sarasota and I wasn't recognized. I was like, oh, this is what it's like. And which is weird because I wouldn't ever say I was like a celebrity, but it was definitely different. Not being known and recognized where, yeah. where I was. And um, there's good and bad things about it. It was nice getting a fresh start, but I, I did miss that interaction with people who genuinely, I felt like respected me and liked me and appreciated um, my service to the community. So what do, what do you think separates a reporter from a storyteller and a good journalist from a great one? Uh, well, reporter can be anybody. You can go to any interview, any scene and spit out facts. Uh, a storyteller is really somebody um, who is crafting and making it more interesting, compelling and seeking out additional elements. Now, I'll say most it, this is a learned skill. When I started, I was definitely a reporter. I was just so focused on making sure the audio, the lighting, my hair looked good, those things. And I wasn't like seeing that craft of the sound that segues and blends to this and the shot sequencing and the art of storytelling. So I think it's a learned thing, but it's so beautiful. And it's, it's definitely what motivated me for most of my career. Once I became a storyteller to really craft and it really pushes you as a journalist to, to be different. How can I tell the story different? You know, the three or four stations in the market are going to be reporting on the same thing. How do I make this different, more compelling? So a, a good reporter is, you know, somebody who takes their job, obviously, seriously, and, um, you know, checks the facts, 
does things on time, is a team player, those things. A great reporter is somebody who um, really understands that team environment and the role that everybody plays to get to that final product on air. But also the follow-up, you know, once you tell a story, it's not just like, okay, VN, let me go on to tomorrow. It's continuing to build upon what's there. Like, okay, this time I only had a minute and 30 seconds to cover this. What didn't we get to? That could be a new story tomorrow. It's like digging deeper really makes the great out of somebody who's already just good at what they do. Uh, what would you say was the most satisfying part of your job as a journalist? Uh, the most satisfying part was the feedback from the people um, that I either interviewed or their family members who were deeply touched by uh, the efforts that were put in. Um, like getting an email at the end of the day from somebody who was either on the receiving end. I did a, a lot of uh, stories about positive news stories in the big country and one of my segments was called Big Hearts in the Big Country, where I feature people doing good things for others. And so a lot of times those were people who were like raising money for a playground in their community that could serve people who were in a wheelchair or had special needs that couldn't play like the other kids because of limitations. And so having them see the support of the community who helped either raise that money and then putting it on air to recognize them and having them being so grateful and appreciative was just like, I'm, it gave you that feeling of I'm doing something right. I mean, uh, it's a small role to play, but it's an important role being that voice to the voiceless and kind of that segue to the community to helping prompt actions. So it, um, I don't know if I got a little off topic there, but it, it was definitely rewarding, um, that part of the job. So I guess going off of that, what was your most memorable story or like the favorite, your favorite story that you covered? Oh gosh, this is so hard. And even leading up to this interview, I was trying to wrap my brain over what I would answer. <laughs> um, there were just so many um, impactful were definitely like the continuing coverage stories um you know the the heartfelt and heartbreaking stories um covering the murder of a 13 year old cheerleader Haley Dunn in the early parts of my career um impacted me so strongly you know to be part of this community that was impacted by this tragedy and to just for years be following it and um hoping to, you know, bring justice and continue this coverage. And then there was also, uh, I mean, I, I hate to keep talking about murders, but uh, of course these are big news stories that impact people um, to the core. And so there was also uh, the murder of a police officer. I mean, there were a lot of things um, like that, that really stuck with my career. Um, but there were also just, um, you know, moderating a very controversial mayoral debate uh, was a big deal for me in my career and, um, you know, something that I never really thought I would do. And it was a, a new kind of stress and pressure associated with the job. Um, but I also loved, loved, loved field anchoring. And I love when we took our shows on the road, the series was called K-Tab on the Road. And in the summer, we took our newscast and we did them in 
five uh, communities outside of Abilene, but still our coverage area. And I just loved learning about those communities and bringing the news right to their backyard. It was, it was really cool. And I kind of want to add on to that because you mentioned, you know, seeing murders and all that. Did that ever get to you personally? Uh, it definitely did. Um, I take everything I do very seriously. So on air, you are able to kind of take a step or a seat back and not really process the emotions. I mean, some of them for sure. I've definitely cried on air. I've been choked up. I'm human. Those things definitely happen. And I think people appreciate that instead of you pretending to be someone you're not. But I did work really hard to be a professional because it wasn't my job to, you know, put my emotions on display. I had a, a serious role to play. And um, yeah, it did. It did play a role. And I think when I was off air and I like digested what was happening, it was hard, um, especially when I became a mom. I feel like that elevated those emotions and those feelings. And of course, you're reading stories that, you know, about mothers who lost their child or who have a child who's fighting for their life. And so you feel this new level of connection with them. So you do take it home with them. And my husband was a police officer. So our conversations were not like, I would say, the average person. Um, we would talk about our day and a lot of them did have to do with crime and death and um some sad stories all right so an observation i have made as someone who's watched a lot of local newscasts over the years is including in your case like you mentioned bob bartlett your co-anchor over at ktab and he had been there uh for over 40 years i still there i believe yeah uh, something i've noticed is that he's had a lot of he's had the pleasure of having a lot of women including yourself co-anchor of him over the years so my question is why do women not tend to stick around as long as the, in the business compared to their male counterparts? Um, I don't know if this is consistent across the board, uh, but in general, um, most people who go through cities like Abilene, if they're not born and raised and from there, they're there as a stepping stone. It's a small market, um, which for people who don't know what that means um, at the forefront is um, it doesn't pay as well. So it's not sustainable to uh, work there that long. So a lot of people uh, come there, get their experience, learn what they need to know and are ready to move on to that next market jump, which usually comes with that pay increase. Bob is somebody who started there in Abilene and then, you know, got married, had children and things just continued. And he really didn't have the need to leave. He like loved his community. And, um, and I think he was there at a time uh, when people really started to have that person that they trusted and counted on. And so that was the reliability and things. And um, I mean, and he's great at what he does. He's a very talented, um, skilled, professional man who um, takes his job so serious and um, it's definitely his home away from home. And so I do think, though, I will say if we're if we're going on the the male uh, female thing, I still think um, the shite, the shelf life, excuse me, um, for women is shorter. Um, I do think I don't know if that's so much industry driven. I do think a little bit has to do with that. But I also think that once women um, become mothers um, and that's not to say those who don't pursue motherhood or can't become 
mothers the way that they want to in the time that they want to, but it does change um, your priorities. And so I think that has a lot to do with that turnover um, in the business. I think I was one of Bob's longest co-anchors. Another observation I made, again, is after female anchors such as yourself get married, they tend to keep, and that's not to say across the board, but a lot of them tend to keep their maiden name on the air. So I would, like in your case, I believe you still went by Paulette's after you got married. But then you also told us if you ever went back into the business now, you would go, you would probably go by Gates again. So uh, kind so of just why did you keep your maiden name? This is definitely individual decision. There's no rhyme or reason. There are some who strictly do this for safety reasons to try to keep an identity. But I mean, to be honest, in this day and age, it's really easy to Google somebody and figure out what their names are. But back, I mean, a decade ago, <laughs> it wasn't that easy. And um, so I think that was my initial in my head, like, oh, even if I get married, I'm going to keep it for the safety of my family. And I had that in my head because I think somebody else had said that. Um, but then I just felt like that's who I was. That was my identity. And I, I was, I'm still so proud of my family. And um, I felt, feel like when you get married, you give a lot of that up, which is good. And I'm really proud of my new last name, but I was like, okay, this is my TV life. And this is my, even though I told you earlier that I didn't really separate, it was kind of just that one degree of two, two different, um, not identities. Cause I really was the same when I was Brittany Paulette's and Brittany Gates. Um, but then getting off air, and just doing things like my family, we call ourselves the Gates Party of Four because I have a son and a daughter and there are four of us in our family, my husband, Justin. And I just and now I'm marketing myself as um, as a realtor. So it's just now my new identity, like Brittany Paulette's has been off air for a long time. So if I came back, I would want my my worlds to merge um, instead of feeling like I had an identity crisis. <laughs> Oh, no, that's a good point. Actually, you bring up something I kind of wanted to add in was uh, like the whole safety thing. Like, did you ever feel like you were in any type of danger working as a journalist and especially as a public figure? So I really have to say I am so grateful to this day that I never had any scary encounter with any stalker, any creepy um, sure, I had a few messages from people saying um, inappropriate things, um, but nothing ever threatening me or where I felt like I needed to go report something to police. Um, however, people under the roof of both stations that I worked at did have serious matters where um, law enforcement were called, restraining orders were even um, put into place. Thankfully, nobody that I know that I can recall right now was ever physically hurt or, um, you know, um, it, I mean, it was certainly scary and alarming. And I think it put all of us in check to, to realize, you know, you need to go out in pairs. Um, it, when I worked the, um, late shift going into work at 3am, our janitor, his name was Adam when I worked at, um, KRBC and KTAB and he would come out and meet me and walk me to the car. I mean, you just, you find those little, uh, ways to keep each other safe. Cause again, it's a, it's a big family and yes, there are crazy people in the world. And when you're under a microscope, people do think they should have additional access to you and things like that. But, um, thankfully, no, I've, I never had any, um, scary encounter or felt threatened by anybody, um, behind the scenes or 
behind social media. Okay, so you've been out of the industry for two years now. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to leave? And I'm really curious why you decided to go into real estate, because I've noticed that seems to be a really popular choice for TV professionals. Um, it's out, It'll be three years in March, which is crazy. Um, but I, it wasn't an easy decision for sure, but um, my priorities had shifted. And at that point, I had... Um, Brody was eight months old and my daughter, uh, they're three years apart. She, um, we were moving to Florida and we kind of just decided we were pursuing a better quality of life and, um, a change for our family. And we just thought like, let's do a clean slate. My husband was also in real estate on the side of being in law enforcement back then. And so we decided to do that full time. And he, kind of always had this vision of we'd be a great real estate team. You're great at networking, connecting with people. And I'm good at the behind the scenes, the numbers, those kind of things. Like we could be a great team. And so I kind of always was like, yeah, but that's not my thing. Like I'm a journalist, like once a journalist, always a journalist, which I do believe just in different capacities. Um, and then we came here. I wanted to be a stay at home mom because I felt like I was given this great opportunity. I had this alone time with my daughter for three years before my son was born. And I was the evening anchor. So I still had all the morning uh, to do activities that stay at home moms did with my daughter before bringing her to daycare. And before I went to go uh, produce and edit the news and anchor the news. And then when my son was born, you know, he's a, a second child. So I was like, this is a neat opportunity. She's going to school. I can have alone time with my son, which not many siblings get. I'm an only child. So this was something that I wanted to do. So we were doing that and it was great and a good bonding time. And then of course the pandemic happened and that extended our time together. And I was just like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, that's, I feel like the pandemic really put life into perspective for people. And I was like, you know what? I, I love being a stay at home mom, but I know it's a good time for my son Brody to go to school for socialization and other reasons. And it's good for me to kind of get my, um, not my identity back. Cause I won't say I lost my identity, but I am a worker and I do like, um, to, to be successful. I'd like to get a paycheck and those kind of things. So I took the real estate test and I passed and, um, started doing it with my husband and it came really natural to me, which is, this is the segue into why so many may cross over. Um, so much of what you do is the same in terms of meeting, talking, being with people of all different walks of life, all different budget, um, price it price points and that connection with people. I think that's one reason why I was respected and trusted was, uh, what you see is what you get. I'm authentic. And so that translated well into, you know, selling property. Um, I also, you know, always enjoyed looking at property, but it like, it stimulated new appeal to do that, to, to see properties. And then for me, I kind of treated it as I did with stories where you want the final product getting to that, um, closing day. It is like tying a ribbon on all your hard work. Granted, it's a little bit longer than most day turn news stories. It's usually 30 day close, but was just very satisfying to, you know, get to the finish line to help people make the biggest purchase of their lives. And, you know, knowing the impact you had on their lives, you know, I knew I made an impact on people's lives, telling stories and being that 
news anchor, but um, now it's just an amazing way to see the difference that you're making and making it a less stressful experience because it's a big deal buying a house or investment property or selling one. And you're still getting to interact with those in the community just on a smaller scale. And I will say on a less negative uh, way, you know, I used to have to knock on doors of somebody who lost their loved one, whether it was in a car accident or a fire. And I'd be asking someone in their family um, if they wanted to talk about it and to kind of give their, um, you know, how they want their loved one to be remembered. So I'll tell you, it's a lot easier knocking on a door to say, do you want to sell your house? Because it's a great time to do so. There's few, little inventory and a lot of buyers and you could make out with a lot of money. So it's a, a much like a, a much easier way to talk to a stranger about something. Um, but just being honest, um, it doesn't pay that great. And I knew that all during my career as a journalist and you don't go into the business um, to make a lot of money, you know, the Today Show anchors are making a lot of money, but the, the rest of us are not. And yeah. so now that I've been in real estate for a little bit and you can make a, a lot more money in a, a shorter amount of time that doesn't require so much of your time, it, it's hard to, uh, to go back to, to that. So we've touched a lot on the changes in the TV news world. So this is kind of like a two-part question. First, what should the industry do to attract and retain viewers, which as we know, they're having some issues doing right now. And then what do they need to do to improve the work-life balance, like you mentioned, and retain their employees? Um, they, it's, there's got to be a lot of um, social outreach and uh, interactiveness. So social media is huge. This is a tool that we got need to keep expanding on and keep including. Um, and I think the more that we can do to being outside of the studio and that connection to the community, the better, because that's going to get uh, people to know you outside of the, the box or rectangle, whatever um, they're watching you from. And so I think there's a huge, you know, a huge opportunity, but also just to, you know, take it serious for sure. This is a serious job. And I mean, you mess something up, you can ruin people's lives and their reputation. So yes, it, it needs to be taken serious, but it also needs to be uh, relatable. So anything that people can do to um, bridge kind of those two worlds is, is going to be um, advantageous. And I think um, the more, uh, focus on the, the viewer video and things like that, of giving people that role in the community that like, Hey, if you're there first, you shoot it, see it so that, you know, this can be held up in court later and there's less room for error and, uh, you know, things like that. So I think those, those can be ways to do that. I guess, I think like allowing a little bit more leeway for, being off or being sick and not having it be such a stigma of like, oh my God, like if you leave, you're going to be replaced. The next person who's younger and more eager and doesn't have kids um, to be here. Uh, I think it's just that more allowing us to be humans, to have bad days, to have mental health days, to, you know, do those things without feeling like jobs are being threatened or at stake. I think that is um, 
huge for that security and just understanding, you know, even if it is ratings time, but if there's a, a play that your kid is in, if there's a cheerleading competition to allow it to be okay to miss work, even though that's not what you do during sweeps and ratings period, you know, making a little bit more exceptions for people to, to live their lives outside and do the things that the viewers are doing. Um, you know, I understand not being off for weeks and months and traveling the world, um, unless it's for the story. Uh, but I think that's, that, that would be a better way to, to keep people. And, and then of course, pay, I don't know what the answer is there and where else to make cuts, but journalists work really hard and they're certainly underpaid as so many professions are. Um, but yeah, that would help. You mentioned sweeps. So for those who aren't really in don't the business, I is. don't know this. Yeah. Can you kind of just explain that? Yeah, there are four months of the year where um, it's this has changed too. So I, you know, this is kind of old news, but before it used to be with Nielsen, the company where they sent home uh, the, the books for you to, you know, essentially say who you're watching, why you're watching, what you're watching. Um, and that would help boost ratings. And of course, ratings uh, mean you can get more for advertising, which in turn pays more to the station. And so it's this trickle down. So for those four months, you're producing uh, special series and content uh, to attract uh, more viewers and a little bit more racy things. And, um, and you know, because that's the time when it counts. Yes, what you do year round counts. But those are the months that are being counted by those um, casting their vote, if you will, for what they want to watch. And so uh, those months of the year are uh, February, May, July, and November. And um, in Kentucky, when I worked there, though, it was also March because of March Madness and the Kentucky basketball. Um, and when you live in a, a state that takes March Madness very serious when you have a great team. Um, so that adds a fifth uh, sweeps month. <laughs> All right. So someone is in college like myself. They're wondering you know, they're going to school for journalism. They think they want to go into TV news. You know, they're reading all this stuff about the industry. They're, you know, hearing what you have to say about pay and work-life balance. And they're like, mm, maybe I shouldn't do it. Should they, you know, still go forward and go into TV news or what advice would you give them? I think anybody who has a dream of doing this needs to pursue it. You know, everyone's journey and experience is different. So you really need to at least give it a try to make your own decisions of whether it's the right choice or not for you. But for young aspiring journalists, um, you know, what do you have to lose at that point? For the most part, you don't have, you know, everything built up and your life paved out for you. So it's a great opportunity to for your own self-discovery while you're finding out if this is the, the right career path. But it, it really is an exciting um, field to be a part of. And I mean, we need more um, hungry journalists who are eager to serve um, their communities in this way and to help be that um, mouthpiece to, to the rest of the community. And um, yeah, I just think Everyone, if this is what you want to do, you got to do it. And if you decide in two years when your contract time is up that it's not for you, so what? You know, you will have gained so much experience in that first contract stint um, that it will pave the way for whether or not you want to stay in or for your next job. Next job. It's going to give you so many valuable skill sets 
Um, and I think it's just a huge time of self-discovery. And I think um, if you work hard, you can do it. All right. So where can our listeners find you on social media? What is your social media professional accounts or website, whatever? Well, I will say before I get to that, I did have to start all over, which is a touchy subject. I had worked really hard on my Brittany Paulette's fan page for my years. I don't remember what year it was actually on, but for most of my career had the verified check. It was legit. I had, I don't know, close to a little, maybe 7,000 followers from my Kentucky and Texas. And I loved it. And I fell victim to some hackers. So I had to start. Oh, over. no. That was when I was out of the business and it was really hard to swallow because I lost all these people um, who I was regularly engaged with and who still wanted to know what I was up to, even if I wasn't on their TV and doing the news. So it was really, really hard. But I was like, you know what? I've got to swallow my pride, start over. I'm in Sarasota, Florida as a new person, new realtor mom of two, family of four. And so um, my page on Facebook is, is Brittany Gates. And um, on Instagram is the Mrs. Gates. That's the MRS Gates, um, as that is my married last name. And I've had that since, I guess, the start of Instagram. I just never changed it. And I kind of combined professional-wise. And then I am still on Twitter, um, Brittany on TV, and that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y on TV. And yeah, I try, you know, most of these days I'm hosting um, special moments with my family and cute things my kids do and just mom-relatable mm-hmm. moments, uh, less news events. Um, but yeah, I love to connect with people. And certainly if anybody sees this who who was with me for my journalism journey, I'd love to reconnect. Anything else you wanted to add that we may not have asked you or mentioned? I don't think so. I just, I look back fondly on my career of a little more than 11 years and I wouldn't change any of it. There was so much learning and growing and it really helped shape me into the person I am today with the values that I have. And I still have such utmost respect for those still in the industry. And I always come to the to the defense when people are blaming the media and um, being hard on journalists because most of the people who are in the business are there for the right reasons with the right intentions and do good work. And I don't want that to go unnoticed. So I'm always, you know, even if I'm on the sidelines, I'm always cheering, cheering those on who are in the business. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I wish you both uh, lots of success in this adventure. And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube and tell all your friends and family that we exist. We appreciate it. Bye. Yes. Bye. Next time on Broadcast Bulletin, Josh Helmuth joins us. He's a morning anchor in Colorado Springs, and he'll tell us how he didn't realize he wanted to enter the industry until college. But I know a lot of college students say, hey, that looks like fun. And that was me. Why he made the move from sports to news. Nine times out of ten, a news job is going to pay much better than a sports job. Some misconceptions viewers might have about the industry. Or how about some of the viewers who think just because you work for an ABC affiliate that you're hanging out with like George Stephanopoulos and Michael Strahan after this show. And so much more. That's next time on Broadcast Bulletin. 
The views and opinions expressed by the guests in this episode of Broadcast Bulletin are solely theirs. They do not reflect those of their past or present employers, nor those of Broadcast Bulletin or its hosts in any way. 